Sunshine Coast Council acknowledges the Sunshine Coast country where this podcast was recorded, home of the Kabi Kabi peoples and Jinnabara peoples, the traditional custodians whose lands and waters we all now share. We wish to pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the important role First Nations people continue to play within the Sunshine Coast community. This podcast deals with topics some listeners may find distressing. If you need support, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi, I'm Caroline Hutchinson and welcome to the Sunshine Coast Council's Get Ready podcast. Throughout the series, we'll examine a variety of disasters and ways of creating a culture of disaster preparedness, response and resilience within our community. In this episode, we're looking at bushfires. Selena lives in Perigium Beach. Her house backs onto the National Park. Literally two days before it all happened, I was sitting on the balcony of my neighbour two doors down and we were having a glass of wine and saying in how much trouble we would be if a fire came through because everything was so dry. of a major emergency. Monday, September 9, 2019. A fire starts in the Perigian Springs bushland. Fanned by relentless winds over 65 kilometres an hour, the blaze quickly spreads in a northeasterly direction toward Perigian Beach. Within hours, the entire community was evacuated and more than 5,000 residents were forced to spend the night with loved ones or in the evacuation centres. Unsure if their house would survive the night. Beck lives in Perigian Breeze and is surrounded by bushland. When the sun went down, my neighbours and I were outside. Everyone was outside on the street just watching and talking and it was just like the most eerie feeling. And we looked over and we saw the flames and sparks on the horizon. I was talking to my neighbour and I was saying, well, we've got everything to lose if we don't move now. I think we should go and we we looked over and we heard it and we saw it and we both just said, nah, it's time to go now. So I drove straight into Pridgian Beach and was confronted with a a site that I still remember to this day that um, was something that we've never seen, particularly on this part of the Sunshine Coast. The flame heights were that high and it was pushing those embers straight over onto Pridgian Beach Township and and it looked as as said like a firestorm. you had to look twice at some of the, the commercial structures, some of the residence buildings that they did look like a lot of them were on fire because of the amount of embers that was, was on top of the roofs, etc. But driving around the streets, it was fences starting to catch on fire, uh, a, a couple of cars on fire, and this wasn't right near the fire front. So it just showed the, the, how far ahead these the, the, the ember uh, attack was, was happening. The fire burning at emergency level is travelling in a northeasterly direction from Emu Mountain Road towards Perigian Beach and Marcus Beach. Queensland police are urging people to leave now as soon as it will be too dangerous to drive. Residents at Perigian Beach, Marcus Beach... We hit David Lowe and there was cars everywhere. And it was dark, it was night, so that's when you go, oh, this is real. Yeah, and then so yeah, went 
went and stayed at a friend's house, but it was odd. It was, no one could relax. Because you just, and as well, we just didn't know where it was. There were a number of times when we wondered if the fire had come up to the national park behind our house and whether their house was even there. There was a point where I just thought, it, our house is going to go, <laughs> like, there. And you just kind of prepare in your mind for that. And you just think, I've got my kids, I've got my husband, I've got the dogs, I've got everything that, you know, you know, there's a couple of things that maybe I could have gotten, but it doesn't matter. We've got what matters the most. So, and thanks to the notifications from the fireys, from the council, um, from the police on Facebook as well, like we were notified with what we needed to know. That blaze is burning in inaccessible land. There are around 60 firefighters out there tonight. They are monitoring it as it moves in that northerly direction. Their biggest concern is those spot fires caused by those flying embers. It's why residents who were hopeful of getting home tonight haven't been able to get back in. Crews say it could be at least another day. One house has been destroyed. We know another home has been badly damaged and many, many more are under threat. It took more than 200 firefighters two days to control the fire. Miraculously, only one house was destroyed. That of 90-year-old Parisian Beach resident Pam Murphy. I saw this great big glow and I think I heard a little bit about it on the radio and... Um, and I kept my eye on the glow, cause that, and that was getting brighter and brighter. And uh, it looked to be getting closer. And so I, I did get my bag in my car and a few things that I thought I'd better save. <laughs> then I cooked my tea and I thought, right, I'm going to eat this. And someone rang about after six and said, you have to get out. And I kept looking out the back here, nothing. But, and then I could see it was getting closer and closer and the embers and, and the glow was, to, you could, and it was getting dark. And then about five minutes later, I looked out here and it's a raging tornado coming down the, between me and the beach. And I thought, ah, oh, I have to get out now. So I had things in the car and I just got in the car and went. I didn't know where to go, so I just went further north up off the Esplanade and uh, stayed in a little cul-de-sac there and slept in the car all night with one of the cats. Because of the ferocity of the wind and the structure type that it was, we just couldn't save it. Then I decided, well, I better go down to the junction because I was getting hungry by this stage. This was about six in the morning and I knew that they opened about seven. So um, I went down there and waited till I could get some breakfast. I was passing the Villa Noosa and it's got you know motel units and I thought I'll go in there and see if they'll let me <laughs> have a room and they did and I stayed there. Then about 12 o'clock I turned the TV on and they did an, had done an aerial view of all this area, from a drone, I presume, and, and I recognised the wreck of my house. I recognised the roofs of both houses either side, and I saw mine. They said a ha one house in Plover Street had gone, and I had a feeling it was mine. I don't know why, but I did. 
And as soon as I saw the burnt roof and all the collapsed, everything burnt, I thought, oh, it's my house. And that's, I just had to, that's, that's how I found out. I'm an artist and I had all my art gear up in the, what we call the loft, it's a room up top, and all the turps and, and oils and, and everything. And the, one of the firemen said they were trying to fight it here and all of a sudden there was a huge explosion. That absolutely was the end, apparently. They couldn't save it, do anything about it. My husband is very calm and cool, calm, collected surfer, you know, very chill. The thing that hit him the most was where there was a rumour that went around that IGA and the service station and the pub had gone. And it wasn't about the pub, but it was more for him. That's our, that's our town, that's our community. A house can be rebuilt, but a community with such big parts of it gone, it, like it, we thought the village was gone. And that was scary. Local radio personalities, Todd and Sammy, were on air the afternoon the fire started. It was a crazy afternoon and crazier night. It kind of, things happened really quickly, didn't they, Weird? It kind of went from there's a fire and then there's some fires out of control to people literally fleeing their houses and mm. houses being burnt down. I reckon it probably took off at oh, quarter past four and calls started flooding in, uh, the motorway was shut down and it, it really kicked off. And I think it was probably quarter past five we realised we weren't going home at six o'clock there. And we stayed on and, yeah, it, uh, it got hectic. It was pretty uh, emotional too. There was one stage we had the lady who was just crying, saying she couldn't find a daughter and she'd fled a house and her daughter was heavily pregnant and she didn't know where her daughter was. It was, um, it was crazy. And Pete Steer, who was the senior cameraman at Channel 7, he was amazing giving us updates. His updates were incredible because he was standing watching houses be saved, watching firefighters and neighbours throw buckets of water over houses with the fire on the fence line. It, mm. it came that close to destroying houses. Uh, and he was really emotional and people like him don't often get emotional because they're in the front face of it all, all the time. So, yeah, it was it was pretty full-on weird. And a lot of misinformation too coming in, I think, from the public. We had the ability to speak directly to council who gave us great information. Also, all the emergency services. They had uh, evacuation centres set up really quickly. So it was easy for us then to, you know, pass that knowledge on. You know what I thought? I thought it was um, it was a really good display of how local government, so council, our emergency services and the media, all sorts of media from TV, radio, etc., how we all just bandied together. And then you and I were gone at about midnight and Lyndon Smith came on and, and took over and went right through the night. It was nice for that cooperation because that isn't always there. You know, often they think we're just being media, trying to pray and trying to get a story when it was genuinely people were listening to, to work out whether they should flee their home, what they should do. We even just had people ringing in from the public yeah. saying, I've seen this, here's what's going on. I think what was important too was that um, uh, the QPS were able to call on us to say to people, hey... Police officers, they're, they're knocking on the door. They're coming to your street, mm. and if they tell you to evacuate, you need to do that. And people were, were quite well prepared, I thought. And I think what, what can also be said is just how well our emergency services work you know, together. 
They work so well mm. together. And, and when you didn't have someone who was a fiery, who was on the scene, who you could talk to, you were talking to, you know, the um, council control centre. And if you couldn't get a hold of them for 15 minutes, because they were flat out, you know, delivering to other media, uh, you were then able to talk to someone from the QPS. But like cops who were there shutting down streets and evacuating people. It was, it was blow by blow. It was actually, it was incredible to live at minute to minute. It was. And I think what you were saying weird too about people were listening to get updates even on the other end of the coast because there was such big, big um, patches of billowing smoke through all the skyline of the coast. I think people were listening, trying to find out what was happening and if their family or their friends were affected. So it was that feeling. It really felt like we were all pretty united. Everyone was kind of, you know, right, we're in this together. What, what can we all do to help? And then the calls of help started, of course, for, you know, we've got a spare bedroom or we've got a garage or we've got room for a horse if you, if you need livestock put somewhere. And that was pretty amazing too. Yeah, yeah. And I was about to say that, you know, that was amongst people going, I'm not sure, I, I can't find my 80-year-old father. I know he left at this point and whatever. And then I remember Mark and Caroline tracking them, them down, the family and the dad, the next day. Uh, but yeah, you're right. People were ringing, going, "We can house people with dogs, with animals, whatever you've got. You can bring your horse to us." And yeah, it was excellent. And local caterers got involved. Mm. And mm. sunny coast, good spot. The Perugian fire in 2019 was one of the most serious blazes the Sunshine Coast and surrounding regions had seen in recent times. But it was only a taste of the horrific bushfire season Australia would face later that year and through to early 2020 when more than 15 million hectares of land across our country was burnt. I sat down with Bernie Massingham and Matt Inwood from Queensland Fire and Emergency Services to discuss the Bridgian fire and how we can best prepare for future bushfires. All right, then, we're going to start with you, Bernie. So am I right in saying that we're not used to bushfires this far north? No, they're unusual for the Sunshine Coast. Uh, I wouldn't say they're unusual, Caroline, except uh, I, I guess... In town along the coastline, uh, we, we don't have them as often, but just not so far away, just on the western side of the, of the, the Great Dividing Range. And in particular in North Coast region, we go out as far as Kingaroy. Our North Coast region also goes up as far as Bundaberg and Gingin in the north. So we've, we've got a fair area that we cover in North Coast region, but here on the Sunshine Coast, um, you know, for, for the listeners, uh, you know, we go up as high as Gympie and in, in around those areas. So we have a, a fair amount of bushfire activity in and around those areas as well. So Perigium was different though because it was close to homes and in September, so quite early in the season as well. Tell us about that day. It was kind of an extraordinary day in terms of bushfire threat, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And if I could just have uh, that particular weekend, I happened to be on call over that weekend. So I started the Tuesday before the, the first bridging event uh, occurred on a Monday evening. Um, so f- that weekend, uh, actually on the Friday night, was the, the start of the severe conditions over that week, uh, over the, cu- the coming week. And uh, so over that particular weekend, I went to eight separate fires uh, and two mountain rescues over that week. Uh, we, we also had up on um, Noosa North Shore, up the Kalula, uh there, there was another bushfire up there that one of the other uh, inspectors on, uh, uh, in the North Coast region went up to. Uh, and then, of course, on the Friday, I'll be your part on the Monday, uh, we had uh, the, the event at uh, Pridgian. So some of the conditions that day uh, in particular uh, was the wind. We had 65 kilometre an hour winds uh, blowing from the southeast, I think, uh, that um, you know, really grabbed that fire, or southwest, I beg your pardon, and, and, and really uh, that was the, the, one of the catalysts along with 
Um, you know, earlier in the year, around about the Easter time, we'd had plenty of rain, uh, which then went into the dry period. So that, you know, all the... Fuel all, was there. That's correct. So it, And then it all cured off and, and dried off. So then as uh, through the winter, went through the dry season, but then when it got to that particular day and, and uh, you know, the severe conditions that we had along with the, the wind uh, really forced that fire along. So it's a windy day. There's a lot of fuel. It's hot. Yep. And there was no moisture in the air. Is... is that right? That's pretty close, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I was uh, I learnt years ago was the 30-30-30 rule, and that's uh, you know, humidity below 30%, winds above 30 kilometres per hour, and temperatures above 30 degrees Celsius. So those, those three combined, uh, you know... Danger. Correct. Yeah. So um, I've heard firefighters talk about the fact that uh, that season was bad, that you knew that that was coming. And was that because of the fuel? What was the reason that you knew that it was going to be a tough season? Well, that was, uh, it was so early. You know, mm. prediction mm. happened the, the, the first week of September. And then what we saw was catastrophic events unfold across the nation uh, over the next, uh, you know, five months. It was just uh, relentless. Um, you know, both Matt and I uh, went down for a stint down the Snowy Mountains or at uh, Queanbeyan at least. And we were in control of three fires through the Snowy Mountains as well. Uh, for a period of time. So, you know, all of those conditions, plus a couple of years before, even though the year before that was uh, was substantial in the fire activity that we had, uh, in particular throughout North Coast region, Central Queensland as well had a really bad fire season the year before. So, you know, that they were talking at that stage, that was the 18-19 season, was that uh, they were unprecedented, but there was uh, that was nothing compared to uh, the, the season that we had in the 1920. So Prigian obviously called in people from everywhere, firefighters from interstate, but you managed to save all but one house and that must have felt like a real win. Uh, yes, it did um, because during that evening, uh, so to start, we had uh, in the first four hours, we had uh, 130 fire appliances there. Uh, we had over 300 firefighters and that's not to, to mention uh, the, the other emergency services, Ambulance and Queensland Police. Queensland Police there did, a, did an amazing job that night. Uh, but that particular evening, uh, you know, there were reports coming in. Uh, we had one stage uh, where we did lose that structure, but uh, the amount of fire activity that were on people's uh, balconies uh, in their gardens at the front of their properties. You know, had, uh, you know, every 30 or 40 seconds I was getting a, uh, a radio message to say we've got a structure on fire in such and such a street and then 30 seconds later I got another one. Uh, then I clearly remember someone saying I've got a block of 20 units and six of them are on fire. So that took my breath away. Uh, and I remember uh, the, um, you know, the next day there were plenty of um, media coverage that we'd lost up to 15 homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that stage, and plus the Puma service station and the yes. IGA, yeah, and there the was pub. definitely the, the word was out that the IGA absolutely. Was under threat. So, yeah. and it was under threat, but you know, the the communication was that it had burnt to the ground, which wasn't the case. Uh, thankfully, well, we we, we lost one structure, um, and I've I've met the lady that that lost that, and she's rebuilding in exactly the same place, so, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, that is amazing, isn't it? So we talked about the fact that there was a rumor going around that the IGA had burned down, that other structures had burned down, and it wasn't true people were getting that information and sharing that information on social media. In the event of a fire, where should people be getting their information from? Well, from from official sites, you know, such as Queensland Fire and Emergency Services site, Queensland Police have uh, Facebook and, and all sorts of social media. Uh, so from those official platforms, that's uh, that's definitely the way to go is to get that, that information because they don't uh, traditionally put out information unless it's factual and... Um, uh, and therefore, you know, unlike social media, we can see that, you know, emotion gets 
in the way that sometimes and, and is propelled or perpetuated forward. And another great source of information is Council's Disaster Hub website. That's disaster.sunshinecoast.qld.gov.au. But, but the other thing from that, from a community point of view, was that, yeah, we spoke to a number of people on that morning and you know, I had one lady say to me, I stood at my front door and I looked back into my lounge room and thought, that's the last time I'm going to see my house and close the door and walk away. You think, that's what a gut-wrenching. And there are all the psychological effects. That Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, how, how, that would just be blown away. And then the, the relief, the emotion to realise the next day that your house is still there. I honestly, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that there that it was one house. It was uh, just in an extraordinary effort. And we were at the radio station. We get a lot of communication with rural firefighters just because, you know, they're people who are pretty community-minded kind of people. They tend to be connected with the radio station. And, you know, they were really proud of themselves and they were shagged. Yeah. They was, oh, we were so proud of them. No doubt. Yeah, everyone was, everyone, as I said, everyone did their very, very best. It was yeah. unreal. So, Matt, and we might turn to you for for the moment, the Phrygian fire was a big shock for people on the Sunshine Coast, but you want to make the point that it's changed us psychologically but we don't have anything more to worry about day to day, do we? Look, we, we need to make sure people need to be prepared that the conditions that we saw during 2019-20 fire season, in particular right across the country and predominantly along the East Coast, were conditions that haven't been experienced before. When you couple those conditions with people's preparations, it's important for people to know what they're going to do. And and the message we really try to get across to people is about being prepared early. So people need to understand that, that being prepared isn't only making sure that you have your gutters clean, making sure that you have firefighting pumps around. There's also a level of psychological preparedness that people need to understand. And when you see conditions like we saw at Perugian, and certainly the footage is there and Bernie's just talked about some of the things that happened on that night at Perugian, that creates a real psychological space for people as well. So, so people can think that they're prepared, they've done all they can around their property, but are they really prepared for what lies ahead? And if you've got a fire or storm event raining down and raining embers down on an area, that will create any number of psychological challenges for people. So with that Obviously, the fallout from that is that people will remember that into the future. It's still very raw with a lot of people um, and that leads us down the path of making sure that with any of our seasons ahead, for anyone across the Sunshine Coast, we look out the door um, a majority of the year, it's a lovely green spot to be. The Sunshine Coast is beautiful. That's why we're all here. We can't lose sight of the potential risk that can exist on the Sunshine Coast. Wherever you've got grass... Uh, wherever you've got thick timbered bushland, wherever that adjoins an urban interface, you've got bushfire potential. And people need to be mindful of that. So it's important all year round to make sure that their properties are prepared. So that old adage, prepare, act, survive? Absolutely. So so if we're seeing conditions heading in uh, that we've got hot and dry conditions starting to come in, generally we'll have the westerly wind influence start to come in around that July-August period. If that's pushing in and we've had a relatively dry winter, well, then we're going to have relatively dry fuel on the ground and obviously with that gives us the potential for a bushfire season ahead. 
that's where people need to be making the decision. So they need to go through, they need to have the discussion with the people that live at their property. They need to know what they'll do in the time of fire. They need to take the time to understand what the bushfire ratings mean. They need to understand what the warning and alert messages mean. So we have a bushfire rating scale, uh, fire danger ratings, which which will go from low, low to moderate right through to catastrophic. Um, fortunately, on the Sunshine Coast, we, we haven't seen catastrophic uh, under the fire danger rating. Um, however, that will determine what the message is based on the fire activity of the day. So if we're sitting in a, a very, even a very high fire danger rating, a severe fire danger rating, extreme, whatever it may be, we've obviously got fairly significant weather conditions that we're going to be faced with on that day. That will determine the warning. If people have taken the time before to understand what's the difference between an advice warning, what's the difference between a watch and act message, what's the difference with an emergency warning, and you really need to heed what those, that advice is that goes out with it. So where we just talked about, Bernie was talking about the information that's available, it's important for people to rely on the single source of truth and that is the truth that is going to be coming out from Queensland Fire and Emergency Services, from the Queensland Police, we're going to be sharing the same information. So if the message is that it's not safe to be there, don't be there. If the, if the message is um, prepare to leave, take that advice and get your preparations in place. Don't leave it till the last minute. We've seen fire examples over the years Victorian Black Saturday fires 2009. We've seen the Canberra fires of 2003. Um, some people heeded the advice, some people didn't. Unfortunately, we saw catastrophic consequences that came out of that. I don't want to see that happen on the Sunshine Coast. I know personally I would never defend my home. I know that now. Like I, in my prepare, act, survive, mine is uh, pack the car and leave when I'm told to. People need to know that about themselves today, don't they? Am I the person who stays and defends or do I get out because you can't make that decision when the embers are raining down, can you? Yeah, that's correct. So so let's paint the picture of, of a, a significant fire event happening like Perigian. You've got, you've got significant fire activity around you. Um, you've made your decision that you want to stay and defend. Your property's getting rained down on embers. Providing your property is well prepared, you have, still have water available and all those things to go with it. If you're then trying to leave in the heat of the moment, we've also got a hell of a lot of fire and emergency service vehicles, police, ambulance, everyone rolling into that area, driving through very thick, smoky conditions. The last thing we need is a lot of traffic trying to go in the opposite direction while we've got emergency vehicles going in. So therefore lies the decision to say, do I leave and if I leave, I leave early or do I stay? Uh, and that that really is a personal decision that people need to make based on their preparations. And there's a whole myriad of advice out there. I urge people to go onto the Rural Fire Service Queensland website, download your bushfire survival plan, go through and do an assessment of your property. Make sure you know uh, what your decision is going to be. Make sure you know to what level your property is prepared. Make sure you've taken the time to consider as part of that bushfire survival plan what those warning messages will mean to you, to your family, to your friends and loved ones that may be there visiting. And, of course, we live in an area where everyone wants to come and visit us on the Sunshine Coast, and rightly so they should. It's a beautiful part of the world. If you've got people visiting and the conditions are really shaping up to be a bad bushfire day, you need to make sure that the people visiting also understand what they will do should fire break out in the time where they're visiting. All right, I'll ask you both this last question. What did we do well at Perigian? What did we? What were you proud of uh, in terms of the public's reaction? And what would you like to see done better in the event of another bushfire? If I could just answer that from a from the what we did well. 
Queensland Police invoked the Public Safety Preservation Act, or the PSPA, and which then forced the evacuation of about 5,700 people. Now, what we did really well as, as the general public is that they followed instruction from the police. Um, uh, to my knowledge, there was only one person that had to be forcibly removed from their home. Other than that, 5,700 people followed instruction and uh, the information that were provided by Queensland Police and the directions that were given in the directions to evacuate, they were followed to a T. Uh, so that bent, as Matt just said a moment ago, we don't need additional traffic and we don't need additional people uh, there that don't know what they're doing. Uh, you know, that particular night, um, you know, as I mentioned, there was over 300 people on the ground and each and every single person did their very, very best that night. You know, we had people there who were... Um, you know, 30 year veterans, and we also had one particular volunteer rural uh, fire brigade member was his very first fire. Wow. So that gentleman did his very, very best that night, as well as the person who had been there 30 years. So, but from the public point of view, they followed instruction, they didn't argue, they got out of the way, and that was the best thing that could have happened that night. And uh, what about Matt? Anything that you think could be done better? Look, at the end of the day, you know, life's a continuous improvement cycle. Um, I, I think the statistics, particularly when we talk about Perugian, speak for themselves. If we look at it more holistically, and, and bear in mind there was Perugian 1, 2 and 3, so there was there were several fires there. There was also numerous fires across the Sunshine Coast around the North Shore in those areas as well. So let's not lose sight of the impact of that. In, in looking at the future, we're obviously looking at how we can improve any ways we do business. How can we take the feedback on that people have said to us where we talk about people being evacuated? Uh, how can we better improve that? How can we better improve the flow of information? And that's not to say we had it wrong and it's not to say we did it badly, but if we weren't always looking at that and taking that feedback on to try and improve it and get the message across to people. One of the big things for us is about giving a really good concentrated effort at getting the message out that we just talked about to people. Make them understand their own risk make them understand what they can do to make sure they're well prepared uh, and make them understand where the source of information will come from. They're the things we can certainly do uh, better into the future as a whole. And, I, and I, when I say we, I mean the community, the agencies, everyone, everyone together has to make that happen. As far as what we did well, don't lose sight of what the end result was. There was one property and, and I by no means degrade that we lost a property and that was someone's house and they lost their belongings that go with it. And that is an extraordinarily sad event. Equally, let's walk away and understand how many properties were under threat on that night and to see what was saved out of that is absolutely amazing. So well done to everyone that was involved. And the woman who lost her house in the fire, Pam Murphy, who we heard from earlier, she's since rebuilt and is back in her home. Well, my house was insured. I told the insurance company I wanted to rebuild. I love the area. I've been here 41 years, and so I want to live here. It was amazing. See, all the plans were in a filing cabinet downstairs, and it didn't burn there. The bottom drawer of the filing cabinet didn't get touched, and the plans were in there from the original house. So they took those and they just rebuilt it. It was originally architect designed and, and you know, with the poles and beams, I had, and, they, and they practically replicated it. 
The Sunshine Coast bushfire season starts in the dry season at around the beginning of August. The season runs through until the beginning of the wet season over summer. However, there may be a bushfire risk at other times, depending on local conditions. If you live in or near bushland, you need to prepare for the possibility of fire. Prepare, act, survive. When a bushfire is out of control in your local area, it's too late to be deciding if you're going to stay or leave. You and your household need a plan that will be put into place in the event of a bushfire. Are you confident you have made the right preparations to stay and defend your home? Or will you evacuate to somewhere safe? When it comes to extreme weather events and emergency situations, it's not a matter of if, but when. There are three easy steps you can follow to get ready. Step one is to create a household emergency and evacuation plan so that everyone in your household knows exactly what to do if the worst happens and you need to leave your home quickly. Step two is to pack supplies, have an emergency and evacuation kit ready. If you're unable to leave your home for an extended period, your emergency kit will equip your household for up to three days of isolation. Your kit should be tailored to meet the needs of your household and might include items like fresh water, non-perishable food and a can opener, a first aid kit, portable radio, torch, sturdy gloves, spare batteries, essential medication, mobile phone and charger, important documents and cash in sealed bags, baby formula, nappies, waterproof bags and toiletries. An evacuation kit is for times during an emergency when it becomes unsafe for your household to stay at home and should contain essential items for each household member that they can easily and quickly grab and go. Your evacuation kits could include a blanket, sleeping bag, kids' toys and entertainment, pillows, warm clothes, valuables and mementos, essential medication, mobile phone and charger, important documents and cash in sealed bags, disinfectant wipes, baby formula, nappies and toiletries, including tissues, hand sanitizer and face masks. Step three is to make sure your insurance is up to date. To learn more about all types of disasters and emergencies, visit Council's Disaster Hub website, disaster.sunshinecoast.qld.gov.au. It's your one-stop shop to find the latest updates, practical resources and what to do before, during and after an emergency. In the next episode of the Sunshine Coast Council's Get Ready podcast, we look at pandemics. I'll chat with my daughter Jemima, who is a paramedic in the UK, and Paul Williams, who was stuck in quarantine in Japan aboard the Diamond Princess, along with more than 3,700 other passengers. Sunshine Coast Council's Get Ready podcast is hosted by Caroline Hutchinson. Recording and production by Josh Newth. Didgeridoo played with the acknowledgement of country by Kerry Neal. Special thanks to our guests, Beck Turnbull, Selena Hines, Todd Whittacombe, Sammy Muirhead, Matt Inwood, Pam Murphy and Bernie Massingham. Additional audio from 7 News and 9 News.